0: Our guest on the podcast today is Antoine Thompson. He's better known by his producer name Amadeus, and he is a heavy hitter in the music industry. He has credits with an extraordinarily long list of superstars, which includes Jennifer Lopez, Trey Songs, Justin Bieber, Tyga, and many more. Growing up in the Bronx in New York, Amadeus started off learning to play the drums with his school band. His natural musical talent was only enhanced by his work ethic and dedication. That talent and dedication got him in the room with legendary producer Buck Wild when he was only 15 years old. Amadeus joins us today to share his story and what steps he took to become the powerhouse producer that he is now.
1: Today, I have Amadeus, the CEO of Platinum Boy Music, and he's a multi-platinum bad boy and hitman record producer, and he's Trey Song's musical director, tour drummer. He also is an educator and motivational speaker, and so I'm I'm very excited to have Amadeus on the podcast. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, my brothers. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Honored to be here. Excited, excited, excited. Great intro, by the
1: way. Very good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, I think what, what I want to do is I want to start the story at 169th Street and Washington Avenue in the Bronx.
2: Man, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Born and raised. That's where I'm from, man. So, yeah, that's where I grew up. You know, 13, not 1309 was the exact building, 169th Washington Avenue. The projects over there, Claremont Projects.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and that was, you know, where I was born. Um very tough neighborhood, surrounded by you know drugs and and gangs and you know a lot of different negative things. But you know, besides the negative things, it also had a lot of positives, which were you know the music and and the neighborhood kind of being somewhat of a family that you know stood up and and fend for one another and looked after one another as well. So you know, it's where I had my first job. I some working some of you working at. What was your first job? Um, I I would have to say, uh, I I would pack bags at the neighborhood, um, supermarket and it was called uh, pioneer. And I would, you know, you basically would show up on a Saturday at like seven in the morning, wait for the, wait for the spot to open and, you know, actually walk one of the cashiers in, (laughs) you know, as as, like kind of signifying that this is my spot, this is my lane today. And, um, Mm -hmm. you, you know, you would just pack the bags. They would send the groceries down, and you would just pack the bags, and what came with that, it wasn't no salary, but you just pretty much earned tips. So people would tip based on how you pack and stuff like that, and and it worked out very well. I pretty much would probably make about fifty bucks from working, I would say, from about eight to maybe five five o'clock. And and, and this you know this is like a yeah. 12, 13 year old, so it was yeah. it, it was all in coins. So after you know I made <laughs> what I would make, I would go to my cashier for the day, and and would change exchange. The the, the coins into dollars, um, and that was definitely you know my first job.
1: That's great. So then, how? So, um, so you're up in the Bronx. You're living in in the neighborhood in the family, right? Mm-hmm. And what was the music scene
2: like when you were growing up? I mean, who did you listen to? Who were you obsessed with? Right. What was? Um, great question. You know, my, my mom and dad were music lovers, man, and they every Saturday was deemed cleanup day. Um, so you would wake up in the morning, and before you could oh, yeah. do anything, go outside, have fun, enjoy yourself, you would have to clean up. And while cleaning up, you know, we got to listen to music. So one Saturday, my dad will have the radio, you know, and he'll play, like, the Bee Gees. He'll play, like, Marvin Gaye, uh, who was the uh, chic. You know, so you got different vibes. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom would get on the next Saturday, and we'll play, like... Hezekiah Walker, who's a gospel artist, and uh, Africa Bambaataa, yeah. and uh, The Furious Five. You know, so I was always surrounded by a lot of different music. Now, me, myself, I loved hip-hop. And it was a bit challenging for me because my parents are both very uh, spiritual and churchgoers, and they kind of frowned upon the type of hip-hop I love versus what they, you know, came up and grew up to. So I had to, mm-hmm. I had to sneak and listen to the hip-hop that I liked it. <laughs> yeah and my, and my walkman you know there was no cd player was walkman, no, yeah. so um but what's cool about my neighborhood was you know there was always block parties somebody was always having a party outside somebody was playing loud music from their apartment so and, and, and that was the same thing that we did but there was a dj that would set up shop right in front of the building plug up into the first floor apartment you know with an extension cord and would suspend this dj you know I, I wouldn't say every weekend but you know i guess when the summer came in he would Get out there uh, and spin music. And his name is DJ Copo. And he was basically the first DJ I ever heard. And he would go out there and he would play all of the dope hip-hop records that I loved. But then he would also play all of the new stuff. So whenever it came down time, you know, came down um, the time for me to, to listen to or learn whatever was new, he would be the one to play that, man. So like I said, I was always surrounded uh by music and just to and I'm probably jumping the gun here, but just to connect it at all, uh my parents sent me to Catholic school. In that Catholic school, we were okay. able to learn and choose a musical, choose and learn a musical instrument. And I was absent on the day that we were to choose an instrument. I wanted to learn how to play either the saxophone or the trumpet. But the day that I went, okay, th- those slots were filled. So the only thing left was the violin and percussion. Now, me being a young man from the Bronx, from the hood, from the projects, one thing I was not doing was choosing a, uh, the violin and me walking. You know what I'm saying? Like walking <laughs> home with a violin in my hand. are never yeah. doing that. I'm all, bad enough. I already have to dress no. up and wear you know, those tight slacks and, and a shirt and a tie. Oh, I, I bet you were looking man. good I, though. I, 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 I don't know because I was always clown, man, so I don't know how good I look. But uh a violin and being dressed <laughs> up. So I picked but mind you I didn't know what I didn't even know that it was percussion mint drums. So I just chose percussion because it wasn't violin. <laughs> um, yep, yep. went into the class and like you said, everything it had everything to do with rhythm, it had everything to do with percussion and drums and i never touched drums in my life but every beat pattern that my teacher played he you know wanted to go around the room to see who was able to emulate that pattern and for some reason man i i emulated each and every single pattern that he played you know with no issues like if there was something that i've been doing all my life and it was that defining moment for me where i'm like okay maybe we have something here um and i was 14 years old man do you
1: remember your remember
2: the teacher's name? Uh, Doctor Donato. Doctor Donato. And my memory is so, so for me to remember that,
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> just go straight, man. Doctor Donato. Doctor Donato, yeah. man. Yes, sir. That was the teacher. So yeah, the rest was history, man. I you know uh, went to church and started playing in my church. Uh, played all throughout high school. Uh, was the first freshman. I went to Cardinal Hayes High School in the Bronx. Okay. Um, and was the first freshman. Uh, to play in the seniors marching band. Uh, I basically ran the drum section um, in the band um, and it was just cool. Cause I was a freshman, just, you know, was able to hang out with all of the seniors. I was just like that cool guy because I was like a really good drummer. Uh, so it was a, it was a, f- a great fun four years for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so then, so you're doing that, you're getting better at your craft, right. And, mm-hmm. and then what were you thinking, you know, you finish high school and you, Four years at Cardinal Hayes, and then, did you know? At that point, you're like, you know what? I want to make a go of music, or what? What were you thinking? What was going through your
2: head? You know what? I, I really, I, I decided, uh, I decided on it really early, honestly. Um, because I, because as as I was like playing drums in church and in school, I started kind of getting into the music scene. I at first was trying to be a rapper and an artist, and it's funny because my name at that time that I gave myself was a boogie. Okay. And it's funny because everybody laughed at it and thought it was like hilarious and thought it didn't make any sense. And I thought it was like one of the dopest things ever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you know, I let the name go. I I, kind of let the whole rap thing go. Um, I got school to a a fellow producer uh, and OG at the time by the name of Buck Wow, who was also a part Mm of the bad the original bad boy hitman producers. And he kind of said to me one day, like, you know, rapping is cool. You know, it's it's good. But you know, back then this is 18 years ago. He's like, you know you're gonna have to go platinum or double platinum to even see any of that money mm-hmm. you know have you thought about being more behind the scenes like you know you already play drums why not like you know produce and I'm like well what is producing it's like producing is like creating the music behind you know the, that particular song or the lyrics like the actual drums and the sounds and the melodies and you know I never thought of that I didn't ever I didn't even know what it meant um and I kind of looked it up and and kind of researched it more and kind of tuned in and went to the studio with him one night as he played music for like Missy and L Cool J and, uh, and Buster Rhymes and just to see that process of a producer playing music to foot an artist that has no lyrics on it and they're kind of choosing, hey, I like that one, I like this one, and starting to write a song over a track. I just immediately fell in love. And like I said, I was in my early stages of high school. So it was at that point that I just really made the decision, like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. I want to be a music producer. And yeah. uh, the rest was history. It, that, I mean, it's, that's a crazy
1: high school, too. Didn't, um, like, George Carlin and Jim Jones go there? Like,
2: Yeah, Jim Jones went there. Um, uh, my my guy, my OG, uh, Fat Man Scoop, went there. Um, now, Jim Jones, for everybody out there, was Dipset, right? Yeah, Diplomats. yes, sir. Yep. That's, that was yes, his. Sir. Um, yep, hip-hop artist Jim Jones. Uh, Jamal Mashburn um who uh went to the NBA. I think he was playing on the Dallas Mavericks uh for quite some time. So we had a lot of uh Talent. successful yeah, yeah, Felipe Lopez, Felipe Lopez mm-hmm. uh, who I think you know had a really big college career at um, St. John's. So he's mm-hmm. very known, you know. And I'm a man. I'm a man.
1: And I'm a of course. Yeah, and so yeah. so then you're with Buck Wild in the studio, right? I mean, and you're what 15 years old? Yes,
2: I'm just really young, high school. And I'm just soaking it all in, man, like, wow, this is it right now.
1: I mean, did he just say, hey, you're, you're a great drummer, I want to
2: bring you in? Or like, did you have to talk him into bringing you to the studio? So he was a family friend of mine. So he was kind of like my mom's, one of her best friends, I think, godfather, something to that effect. Okay. Um, and she would see him all the time, you know, when, whenever she would visit uh, their, uh, her house. And, you know, you know, she knew what he was and what he did. And Kind of mentioned to him one day, hey, my son is you know talking this music stuff. I don't know what he's saying, I don't know what he's talking about. You know, maybe if you can have a conversation with him or bring him with you one day just so he can get a vibe or an idea of how it works and what it is. And he actually accepted and said, Sure, I'll come pick him up one day, uh, you know, and and have him come hang with me in the studio. And And that's how you know it all went down. That is awesome! That is awesome!
1: Oh man. Mom's looking out, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So okay. So then you're in. You're in the studio, and you see. Okay, this is what a producer does. This is, you know, you're you're putting together beats. Artists are picking them, starting to write songs over them. Um, and then so, uh, is it fair to say that that sort of cemented? You're like, okay, this is cool. I want to do this.
2: Yes. Like just. Yeah. The fact of someone creating something out of nothing and then and then you know like laying you know as a producer laying the blueprint you know it's one thing and not to take anything away from anyone you know because it's all creative creativity and 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 work at the highest level but think about the fact that when you turned on your equipment as a music as a musician or producer nothing was there And then after, you know, vibing for an hour, vibing for half an hour, you create a melody, you you create a tune, you create a track, and then there's a beat. And then you forward it to an artist, an artist gets on and hear his or her ideas, starts writing, records, and now you have a song. But originally, there was nothing there. So I just was, you know, really fascinated about that creative process and being a person that would create that blueprint for a song. And like, like you said, I just saw it. And immediately fell in love with it and said, this is what it is. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. And I just kept working. I, I made a lot of sacrifices throughout the years of getting to where I am at today.
1: Now, what kind of sacrifices did you make as, as a kid when you were still in
2: high you school? You know, I, I was always in church. Uh, I went to church. As, and, I, you know, okay. me being a musician at church, I had to be at all of the services. So, you know, there was like t- Tuesday night yep. prayer service. There was Wednesday rehearsal. There was Friday night services um and all day sunday and sometimes all day sometimes saturday as well so that's that's part of the sacrifice that i made did you play drums in church or what yeah i I started i started out playing percussion meaning bongos and kungas and the cowbell Mm -hmm. and so i started off there and then i graduated to the actual full drum set as my mentor and drummer and brother from the church was actually my pastor's son he was playing drums originally and okay. then he moved to play keyboards and organ. So that was the musician side of the Sacrifice. And then as, as regards to the producer, I didn't want to do anything but create music.
0: Yeah. yeah, I didn't want to do
2: anything but create music. So that, you know, going out, hanging out, hanging out with my friends, going, to, going bowling, going to the movies, going to theme parks in the summer, none of that. I want not do none, none of, of that. School, none of church, that. studio. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it was hard for me because you're young, you're a teenager and I lost friends, I lost girlfriends, (laughs) you know, it was, Mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. tough, but I was so caught up in the matrix and caught up in my passion for creativity, nothing else mattered to me. Um, and so those were definitely some of the sacrifices that I made, you know, to get to where I'm at today. So
1: let's, let's fast forward a few years, right. And you're, um, you're out of high school and you're trying to make a go of the music business, mm-hmm. you're trying, to, trying to break in. What did you do first?
2: The first thing I think, I just kept making music, 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 music. I just created, created, created. And so the drummer that I, that I mentioned that was the drummer first at the church that started playing keyboards and I started drums, me and him partnered at first as, as producers uh, together as a production duo. Okay. And us working together. Uh, we got a, a placement on an artist named Nucci Rayo. Uh, Nucci Rayo was signed to MCA Records uh, by Don Poo. Uh, Don Poo was managing like Foxy Brown managing Biggie, uh, so he's a big deal, oh, yeah. big deal. And so that was the first placement. The song never was released, but it was my to me a big break, an opportunity for me to get into the game and network and connect the dots. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't really get to mention that a lot, so I'm glad I was able to mention it here because that was the first track placed. It just never was released. So the yeah. first track that was placed and released for, from me and myself individually, solely as a producer, was Foxy Brown. And just to go back on the question you asked, you know, you, you, you wanted to know how it came about. So uh, my cousin, his name was Joe, Joe Thompson, uh, and a cousin through marriage. He was the assistant or was working with Anton Marchand, who was the vice president and the director of A&R and Records. Okay. Yeah, and he knew that I was making music. and was like, Joe, I need you to come up here. I want you to take a meeting. and I want you to come play your beats. And you know, the meeting happened and I went up there and did that. And the dude was like, dude, man, it's, you know, for what you're doing, it's not, it doesn't really fit the projects I'm working on, but I want you to go, you know, meet with my sister. And I'm like, who's your sister? And he's like, Foxy Brown. And I'm like, are kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, nah, that's my sister. Her name is Inga Marchand. My name is Anton Marchand. Like that's my sister, look it up. And I actually sat there in the, in the office, looked it up and was like, yo, this is really his sister.
1: This is his sister, oh
2: man. He's like, dude, she's in Chungking studio tonight working go down around 7 o'clock, play her the same beat you played me because I love them, and let's just see what happens. So I did that, man. Went down, walked in the studio, Foxy Brown is there. She like, what's up, Amadeus? And I'm like, wow, this is, like, really Foxy Brown, man. Like, I'm a teenager, you know what I'm saying? And
1: yeah, yeah.
2: played her music. She loved it. She picked out a few beats that she loved. Um, I went home that night on a million. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this is amazing. Yo, and then got a phone call the next day like, listen, man, she recorded to, like, four or five songs. One of the songs is going to be um, the actual title theme song to the movie and soundtrack for Cradle to the Great, which had uh, Anthony Anderson, Jet Li, DMX, Gabrielle oh, yeah. Union, Dragon, Jet Li. So, man, I'm like, what? <laughs> and that was my first uh, placement that, that, you know, the, the, the song came out in the movie, came out in the soundtrack. Played in a movie for twenty six seconds. As you can see, I can still remember that to this day. Yep, yep. <laughs> you know, my name, my name rolled in the credits after the movie was over for the soundtrack. The soundtrack went on to soul, uh five hundred thousand, you know, copies, earning me my first gold plaque, which hangs on the wall today. And that was pretty much how I started.
1: How now? How old were you?
2: I don't even remember. <laughs> <I> don't remember. <laughs> Eighteen? Oh, man. Some? I don't even know, man. Just. Oh man, it was crazy. It was crazy. Damn. Yeah.
1: That is crazy. Yeah. So, so basically, if we track this back, right, mm-hmm. you had a cousin by marriage, mm-hmm. right, heard it. And through your like personal network and all the hard work that you put in on the beats, that's how you got, right. you know, through a couple different channels, right, into Foxy Brown here and now. Right. And
2: the, whoa. Yeah. That yeah, awesome. and then, you know, like I said, the rest was history. Now, just to throw this in there. So, that, that, when I, to bring it back to the placement with Nucci Rail, right? So, in that room, mm-hmm. the one before Foxy, so in that room, there was Dom Pooh, who I still like, was the, was the A&R, MCA Records, who was a part of Biggie's career, yep. Foxy's career. There was Manny Haley, who at the time was managing a hip hop artist. There was Derek Dida uh, Angeletti, who was also a part of the Bad Boy Hitman team back then, creator. Produced like Benjamins and hypnotize, uh, what Diddy and, and and Biggie. So there was a lot of yeah. major players in that room, and I'm a youngin. Um, but what I did do was kind of yeah. go around that room, mad hype that I produced that record that everybody was loving, and was kind of forwarding my contact information um, and and exchanging info to say, hey, I produce a song. You know, I would love to send you more music. So I created those relationships early and out the gate. So. I was always sending those people that I met that night music. And then Derek D. Angeletti, Bad Boy Hitman, became one of my mentors as well, You know, kind of saying, hey, you, know, you should add this to your tracks, you should change this with the drums, you should add this, you should add that. So I had a lot of mentors in the game at, a, at an early stage, and I was really big on networking and introducing myself, meeting and getting out there and going to networking events. So that was what helped me start to create placements and get my name out there as a producer. A new producer, but still um, able to deliver—you know—the goods.
1: One of the things that I think is so interesting—I mean, you've managed from you know 2003 to the present to be like constantly working and getting placements Man. and and making things happen. And it, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people like you know they get in, they have a couple big songs, and then. Mm-hmm you know, then it, then, it, then it ends, right? What do, like, right, what do right. you think you did differently that lets you sustain and grow this for
2: years? You right. Know? You know what I, I feel like what would what, what allow me to sustain success and, and to still be relevant um, today, you know, 18 years later, is I've always created what I love. I always created from the heart or whatever I felt or feel at that particular moment, so sometimes it might not be the, the it might not be in in the trends right now it might not be a hit single or it might not be something that's going to play on the radio constantly, but it might be a song that means the most to that particular artist because that track brought out a memory that track brought out a, 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 an experience in life that maybe the artist had to overcome or a trial and tribulation that they had to endure or losing someone they love so a lot of the records that I've created just brought, or or tracks that I created, really brought that out of artists when they heard my music. And when they wrote, went into the studio and wrote and recorded, it became not so much of a party song or a club anthem, but more so of a song that was meaningful to them. And I prided myself on that, you know, and and I still am the same way to this day where it's like, I create what I feel and I create what I love. So whatever, if I'm pissed at that, you're going to hear it in the music. If I'm sad, you're going to hear it in the music. If I'm you know, feeling sensual, I got candles lit, you know, you're going to get a, a, a real sexy, <laughs> you know, on um, the record, you know, yeah. so it depends on how yeah. I feel. And I feel like that's the best way to create. It's the best way to show who you are musically as an individual and it's, and it's being your authentic self. So I think and feel that that's what allowed me to be in the game for 18 years, just being my authentic self. And like you said, because we know many creatives that came and left that had major songs, that mm-hmm. major records known throughout the world. And you know, once a style or, or a sound or a trend changed, they they disappeared. So besides just being true to me creatively, also being able to adapt and to evolve creatively, musically in regards to sounds and styles. Because you know, I'm from the Bronx. I'm from New York. Um, so you know, my first crew at, at the beginning of my career, you know, I produced for Busta Rhymes and and Remy Ma and and Little Mo and Jim Jones. And but then mm-hmm. I've also was able to create music for Mike Jones and. Paul Wall and Young Jock and The Game, you know, um, artists that were from different regions and different parts of the world and have different styles and sounds. So, you know, I was able to evolve and create all different types of genres. And I felt like, you know, that mattered as well.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, and and you, like, you learn from them and they learn from you. And then suddenly you get a mix of, you know, Northeast New York hip hop and
2: hip hop from other places, Right. right? Which can be... Which could be. Right. Magical. And that's and that's studying that's, and I'm sorry to cut you off. And that's studying as well. That's yeah. studying and not just saying, Okay, I'm from New York, I'm from the Bronx, I'm just gonna do this one thing and create this one sound. That's studying and appreciating all of the different styles. Like obviously, you know, the game would have a West Coast sound, you know. Mike Jones yeah. and Paul Wall being from Houston would be, you know, more of a chop and screw. Southern type of sound. Group? So yes. yeah. just being able to listen, to, to 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 have an appreciation for it and a respect for it first, especially not being from that region or that particular area. And to say, how would I approach this sound? You know, how would I approach this chopping Scoot sound? How would I approach this Southern ATL swag? How would I approach this West Coast Dr. Dre vibe? You know, so it's kind of studying and, and, and appreciating what they do, but just adding my touch and my spin or my take on how I would create uh, a different style from different regions.
0: As a growing artist or songwriter, keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid. It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties that were getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy-to-understand analysis with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview.
1: You say that you know becoming a connoisseur of different types and styles of regional sounds is one of the key sort of ingredients to you
2: staying relevant and growing as an artist yes absolutely from a from a creative standpoint yes um but then you also have to factor in uh creating and maintaining relationships as well mm-hmm. you know i've worked with people for years like you know. um, uh, you know, from the touring aspect, of course, with Trey Song for 12 years. I've been working with Chris Brown from a production standpoint for eight years. You know, Little Mo was a part of my journey at the beginning of my career. So we've probably been working for like, you know, I don't know, 15, 14 years. Uh, Jim yeah. Jones, Mike Jones. So, you know, um, Keisha Cole years. And, you know, so it's to a point where they don't really put out an album or, or project without saying, hey, I'm working on this album. What you got for me? Um, yeah. So relationships I feel is just as important as you being on top of everything, uh, creative wise.
1: Now what are you what advice um would you give to somebody who's who's coming into the industry and, you know, is has got the creative part down but needs help working on relationships? Like what what did you do to keep those relationships
2: strong and healthy and alive and, and enriching over the right. last First, I, w- I would say first, um, you know, I just was always me. Um, one thing about me, I'm very, uh, I'm a happy person. I- I- I'm very silly and fun and, you know, just a good person to be around. I'm the person that walks into the room and if the room is sour or if the room is, is, is down, I'm the one to pick it up. Um, so just, you know, maintaining yourself and being who you are, regardless of who you surround yourself with, because, you know, I'm big on energy and sometimes... You know, uh, any you can go on you can step into a room that's filled with negative energy and doesn't have anything positive floating around in it. And it's like, well, I know I'm a positive individual and I'm a, I'm a positive person, so I'm not gonna allow myself to step into this room and become the room. I wanna step into the room and and, and, and expect the room to become me. Not me as an individual, but just you know, share and vibe off my energy. So I I feel like being yeah. you and your authentic self is very important. And that's, and that's the key. And then everything else is is having a great product, having a great product having quality work, being able to network and get that product and that quality work to the masses, meaning you know to those artists that you wanna create with and wanna work with. Um, so there's a, it's a lot that goes into it. And I think oftentimes creative individuals always love to stay locked into a studio and make beats and vibe all day, but it's so much more to being a, success, a successful producer versus just staying in, in a studio. You, know, you gotta, like I said, network and create uh, relationships with people. You got to know who's working on what. You got to study. You got to do research. You got to figure out and find out who's the best contact person uh, uh, and who to speak to in regards to getting your music heard by that a particular artist, uh, what they like, what they don't like, what the vibe is. you know So it's so much so much more goes into placements and, be, and, and being a successful producer versus just staying in the studio and just making beats all day because that can just be hot beats that you have that's just sitting in your computer doing nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if nobody, if you're not focusing on, you know, it's uh this might not be the perfect word, but distribution mm. of your habits. That,
2: that is the perfect word. Yes, it is.
1: Yeah. You got to get it out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Cause like what I got from that is like, number one, you, every time you went into a room, you said, I'm bringing positive and creative energy to it. Right. I'm not, I'm not getting sucked in if there's something. Similar, right. 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 Number two, you're like I'm bringing it, and I'm constantly evolving as a producer, and I'm figuring out and and researching my my customer, mm. who is the artist or the A and R person or the other producer who's quarterbacking a right. project, right? Right, and you're saying, okay, what do they like? Who's who do I talk right. to? Yeah, there? like that. I mean, because you know, like it. it it sounds you spent almost as much time talking about that part as you did talking about the sounds. Yeah, absolutely. themselves. Absolutely. Which is there,
2: there's, yeah. there's weeks that I'll spend just researching like, okay, who's what's going on? Who's hot? You know, and now, um, now that you, we have obviously the internet and social media, because when I started that, that didn't exist. Um, so I, I really had to get out there and yeah. and be seen and heard. Like face to face, and now, you know everything. And I say this just like this all the time. Now everything is at your fingertips, where you can type it, you can look it, and it's right in your handheld handheld phone or your computer, and then you can get right to it. Versus me having to go stand in front of Def Jam all day waiting for Jay Z to show up, or go stand in, you know, go stand in front of (laughs) Daddy's house recording studio waiting for Puff to show up and go into the studio for the night, hoping that I can get a word in, or I can pass him a CD, or I can pass him a cassette tape. You know, so nowadays. Everything is at your fingertips. So, yeah. would it be, would it being that way, it, it, it's so, it, it's so much more to our advantage to be able to get work out there because everyone, to me, is is so accessible to a certain extent. Um, and I mentioned this to you know f- so a fellow producer yesterday. Like, how do I do this? How do I do this? I said, man, everything is at your fingertips. Dude, like you, you got music, you got beats. You want to get it to your favorite artist? I said, no. Like, Meek Mill, Rick Ross, Diddy, uh, Chris Brown uh tiger they all right now have emails and their bios on on ig right now and met, and i'm like do you know that and they're like yo i didn't even realize that i know i said i know because you're not looking for it like you're you you know you're not you're expecting something <laughs> to just happen. you're expecting a placement to fall into your lap like that and it, it doesn't work like, like anything you want in life whether it's music you know production whether it's school whether it's education you have to go and do the research. You have to find it. You have to go figure out, how do I make this happen? Nothing just happens.
1: Yeah. Oh, man, I love it. I mean, that, like, yeah. No, I think that those are, that's wise
2: words. Uh, now, 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 just to add this before you go, just, now, now here's the other half of that. The other half of that is, okay, so now that you know those artists have those email addresses available, right? Now it's about reaching out and making contact. Now, yeah. yeah. Someone's going to respond. Some aren't. Yeah. So now the other, the other part of that is being persistent and, and consistent with not allowing your pride and ego to say, okay, well, I reached out to Meek, I reached out to Chris Brown, I reached out to Trey Song, I reached out to whomever, they're not responding. So that doesn't mean give up. That doesn't mean, okay, well, they're not going, you know, they Hollywood or they doing too much. There's, there's millions of people that are probably thinking how you're thinking that are reaching out the same way. So now instead of looking at it in a negative way where I'm be, be, being ignored, it can be, yo, I just didn't, they didn't they just didn't come up on your email yet. Yep. You know, but exactly. if they see your email if they see your email within a week or two weeks where it's like, oh, okay, I see this kid Amadeus in my email ten times. You he's know, not so, giving up. I better yo, take a listen. I better yep. take a listen. Let me open it up. Now, this can work both ways. Someone can frown upon that and say, Okay, that person is doing too much and act like they wasn't in that position before. And know how hard it is to break into the game and give them a shot anyway. Or you can have that person that says, hey, man, I love it. I love the consistency. I love the person. The fact that he's or she is on it. They're trying to get on. They're hungry. They want it. Let me give them an opportunity. So you have to be willing to take that chance. And one, be denied. And and be fine with it. And keep pushing. And also, um, you know, be cool with the person that gives you that opportunity and that, and that chance. Yeah. No, I think
1: that, I mean, well, and the thing too is like in a lot of ways, right? Somebody, you know, you're, you're an in-demand artist and somebody keeps hitting you up. You know, you see it once. I mean, they might just miss the email and then you see it 10 times and you go, okay, this person is serious. I mean, it sends this signal to them. This, this kid is a, is a professional is taking this serious, wants it. Right. It's not somebody who's just like, oh, I saw this email address on IG and let's see if I it's it's not like a lottery ticket for them. Right. It's like, yo, this is I'm gonna make this. Um so so Amadeus, I got some I got some more questions for you too. Okay, awesome. Um so okay, so you, you get like this, you know, with Foxy Brown and everything else. And I wanna know like what were you how did you finance your career from the early days? Like were you selling beats?
2: Was it your royalties? Like, what did you do to maintain the bankroll so you could keep going? Like I said, I didn't have much but my cell phone bill, honestly, to pay. So so me making, I think I was getting maybe $200 or something like that a week it was enough to, one, keep my cell phone paid, two, enough to give my mom some money just for food or, or that, that, that light bill that I was running up. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so you know it was it, it, and that was the beginning of my career now obviously moving forward you know it kind of got more difficult as i became grown and an adult to, to 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 sustain but i will say this um music back then and production back then was such was so much more respected mm. and and we were compensated in a, in, a, in an amazing way you know so what i was making uh, uh back then versus now was a huge difference like for instance the first placement for well, Foxy Brown that check was 10 grand yeah you understand know so which, which can go a long way uh, yeah when you you're understand? Like, for me. <laughs> yeah. like, and, and, and at that time you know and it was a blessing for me because the, my, my grind and how hard I worked the placements was kind of coming in like back to back because my network and how I networked and, and, and got out there and send out music as much as I did I would have a new beat tape and beat CD every week. Whoa. Like hands, like hands down. Now, obviously, everything is not amazing. Yeah, sure you much. know, everything is not yeah. going to be top-notch, but I just float creatively like that. And I was a person where once I finish the CD, once I finish the beat, I'm calling you saying, hey, the next beat tape is done. What you want to do? <laughs>
1: so you're prolific, you know too.
2: Yeah, oh, man. Oh, man. You know, so that would increase, you know, the amount of, Opportunities I would give myself because I'm always submitting music and I always had beats for people to listen to. So the more opportunities I submitted or the more music I had to submit, it increased the opportunities to place. You understand, and and that's how it was. So financially, it was great. And and I also share this with you. So besides making besides making ten and fifteen and seven thousand per track, being this young kid, like I was pretty much good with that, and I would invest in in my equipment you know, buying new keyboards and buying, you know, different sound modules and stuff like that. And so that's what I did, obviously sustain and take care of myself and provide for myself, but also investing in myself as well. And just to also share this with you, at an early point in my career, this is kind of fast, fast forward in life. I had a, I had a child on the way. And okay. with that being said, you know, I was, I was very young, uh, I had a child on the way, and I didn't know what that entailed. I just knew it, it. It entailed a huge responsibility for me as a father, you know, time wise and also financially. So yeah. I got offered an opportunity to get a publishing deal, and because of, like I said, me having a child on the way, I took that. I took up that offer, okay. and I was probably I had only about I think I had the Foxy Brown, Lomo, Mo, I, I think Jim Jones, Cameron, and, and uh, Mike Jones placements, and they were able to. With those five or six placements, give me a deal based on what I had out and based off of kind of like my potential and where they see me going within that next year. And that was a pretty decent lump sum, which kind of became a cushion to me, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and just good for me mentally knowing, okay, I have a son on the way and I know that he'll be able to be provided for. I'll be able to sustain with bills and everything like that musically and be able to be okay. Um, and that was one of the main reasons why I took that deal. Um, so financially, I was really good for a long time. I saved. I did the right thing with it. I invested it in a home. So I was a homeowner at a really early age in, in my early twenties, and I just did right with it. Built a, wow. built a studio okay. in my house. You know, I just really, you know, did the right thing, man, with it. You know, so it definitely, and I'm glad you asked that question so that people could, you know, could hear my my story and and how it started for me at a, at an early age and just know. How producers were appreciated more and compensated fairly. You know, there were times where not me because I wasn't on that level yet, but you know, Roddy Jerkins and Neptunes and Timbaland and Kanye, where well, they were getting like a hundred grand per beat, man. And it was nothing to talk about. Yeah. Like there was nothing to talk about. It was nothing to negotiate. Like this is what it is, Earth Gotti. You know, like this is what it is, and the label was paid it. You know, with a smile on their face. You know, fast forward now, 2019, where you know, you're blessed if you get a check. Like, And it's sad to say, like, you're blessed if you're credited. Yeah. You know, these days, somebody uploads something on SoundCloud, upload it on their IG page or Instagram or Twitter, Um, you know, put it on YouTube where, you know, where millions of people are streaming it and viewing it. And, they, you know, the world has no idea that you actually even created and produced that song because you were never credited and, and possibly not even compensated for your work. So it's just so, you know, different dynamics of where production has, has been through, what production has been through.
1: Now do you think I mean what um what advice would you give to a to a young producer who put something up on SoundCloud and then you know an artist grabs it and doesn't give him credit for it? I mean, has that ever happened to you actually? Oh yeah, say?
2: absolutely. It, it, it's happened in the beginning part of my career and, it, and it's happened even now with me being who I am and a very well respected producer with a you know great and long resume. Um, you know if 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 a lot of times people don't think, man, and this is not just for artists or creative people, just in the world in general, like sometimes people do things in a selfish manner and only thinking about themselves, not you know respecting the fact that obviously this song that's created is not just about you or you didn't make the beat you didn't you know you wrote the song and you put the lyrics to it and and but you don't know, as a respected producer you know it was a, it was a collaboration you know it was a it was a it was a group a group activity, you know what I mean um yeah. So, you know, my words for the producers that are coming up today, man, it's just it's just know who you are, know what you are, and have enough respect for yourself to know what you should be getting. You know, obviously if you are just starting today versus me and where I'm at in my career, we shouldn't be making the same thing. You shouldn't be making the same profit because of our resume. You know what I mean? But you should be compensated for your work. This is at the end of the day, work. If you if you if you sign in, you know, at the doctor's office because, you know, you're you're receptionist or you know, you work at McDonald's and there's no shot. It's just what it is. You work at McDonald's and you're a cashier, or you know, if 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 you're a banker, when you when you sign in and you and you let them, you know, for the day for your nine to five, you clock in and you get off uh, at at five o'clock. You want to get paid for your work. You work from nine to five, you know, minus your lunch break, of course, but you deserve to be compensated for your work. It's the same thing when you're making music. I was in the studio all night long. I was, you know, picking my brain and and slam my head on the keyboard and all night long to get this, you know, dope track and dope melody out. And now you love it. And now you created a song to it. And it's like, okay, I deserve to be compensated for my work, period. So for the producers that are coming up this day, today, don't be so hyped and excited um, to get on and and to get a song out with, you know, of course, the artists that you admire or, or artists that you love, but make sure that you handle business. Because what happens is when you do that, it makes it hard for us producers that have a resume. That, that has earned you know, a right to be compensated and be compensated in, in a large way, now we're fighting with you because that artist can turn around and say, well, why, why should I pay Amadeus X, Y, Z? You know what I'm saying? Or uh, why should I pay Jalil Beats X, Y, Z when I can go pay this producer that I found on YouTube? Well, not even pay, but I can go get this YouTube producer that I found last week who has just as dope music and beats as yours. And not pay him anything. Well, I can pay him twenty dollars. Or I can pay him a hundred dollars. You know, so they're kind of messing it up for everyone when you think about it. Because what the hell are you going to do with twenty dollars? What are you going to do with hundred dollars? You know, yep. that's that, exactly. that. That can't even really fill your, you know, fill your refrigerator with a decent amount of food for the week. $100? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know what I'm saying? So, not anymore. You know, so yeah. so it just it just causes an issue when it comes down when it comes down time for me to say. This is my worth, this is what I've done, and this is what I'm asking for. And now I have to fight uh, for that now based off of the newer generation coming in and saying, oh, Rick Ross or Jeezy or, or, or Fab or Trey, or, oh, I'm, so, I'm, I'm so excited to work with them, I'll give it to them for free. You know. So stay your ground, man. Know, what it, know your worth, know what it is that you're bringing to the table, and know that you deserve, just like anybody else, to be compensated for your work.
1: That's great advice, man. Great advice. Last question for you what advice would you give to yourself today coming from like the what you know now um, as
2: you were getting started
1: in the music man um,
2: wow what advice would i give myself now you are you talking about now or when i started the the
1: you of 2019
2: to the you of 2003 wow. let's say you know that. what i i love my journey honestly I, I honestly wouldn't change, believe it or not, I wouldn't change anything. I, I felt like who I was at that time, I loved that Amadeus. And, and, and I still love who I am today. But just to think, about, just to think yeah. about who I was at that time and to create something from nothing, it, it still blows my mind to this day of, of what I created and how I created it um, and how I had to go about doing it having nothing and no one if that makes sense you, to you you wouldn't trade it you know what you i'm wouldn't saying trade it for anything no nah, <laughs> man nah. because it, it 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 made me who i am today it made me that humble individual It made me that strong individual It made me that go-getter that i am today because believe it or not i look back at that 2003 amadeus and say you know now saying to myself now with, with 2003 Amadeus quit? Ooh. With 2000. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. Like, so, so the 2003 Amadeus motivates the 2019 Amadeus. Damn. I love and that. And I know, and I know <laughs> that's real rare. And I've never even said that out loud. But as I think about it, it's like, yo, man, you didn't have nothing, bro. Like you didn't, you just had a dollar and a dream, literally. Yeah. And people laughed at you. People joked. People mocked you. People said, what? Well, you can't do that, man. That, nobody does that. Nobody that I've known have done that. So when, when I think about the fact that, you know, I'm 18 years in, you know, I'm still doing this. I'm still relevant. People know my name all, all around the world. My colleagues in the music industry know my name as much as it's filled with politics, you know, and negativity. You still know my name. You still know what it is. You can act like you don't know what it is, but you know what it is. I'm still here doing what I'm doing. That 2003 Amadeus motivates me from time to time and say, he ain't quit, he ain't give up and he ain't have nothing. Now, I can't say I have it all now, but I have so much more than I had then now in order to be able to keep pushing forward. You know, and now it's even more of a blessing now because now I have kids. Now I have family. Now I have, you know, a queen that's by my side that pushes me and motivates me every single day. Now I have fans that push me. Now I have people that follow my career, that pushed me. Now I have all of this music that I've created that I can go back and listen to and say, wow, you did that, man. You know, so, now nah, I wouldn't. Mm-mm. If anything, he, he, 2003, you know, 2000 Amadeus motivates 2019
1: Amadeus. I love it. It's like, hey, man, I'm busting my ass back here in 2003, not for you Indeed. to sit, not for you to relax in 2019. Yeah. No, get Absolutely. back to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man, I love it. Well, Amadeus, I thank you so much for your time. This was thank an you. amazing
2: conversation. And thank I you, really man. appreciate it. You've got you've uh, gotten some you've, you've gotten some stuff out of me that that, is, that has never been shared, man. So, Ooh, only baby. And, <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to Amadeus' story on this episode. We'll be back next Tuesday. If you want to get that episode and every new episode of The Big Break downloaded in your podcast feed, just tap the subscribe button or save button wherever you're listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next Tuesday.